when we come to the Christmas season, I do think that many of us are tempted to say, if there is any one part of scripture that has been overdone, overcooked, it's the nativity stuff. It's that early uh, Jesus is coming, manger, donkeys. I get it. I get it. We've talked about it. We've heard it. We've got it. Do we? Do we really got it? Are you sure we got it? Do we really have it all figured out? When we think about the, the arrival of Jesus on the scene, do we really, do we really got it? There's so much about the modern world I'm, in, I'm incredibly grateful for. I'm grateful for hot water, indoor plumbing, AC, anesthesiology, horseless carriages. I'm grateful for all, all those things. But it does feel like the coming into existence in the, the modern era is a lot of things that, that seem troubling. Like you, you, you see every breaking news headline and it's like, it's not good stuff. It's not, it's rarely, hey, breaking news, everybody's lives are about to get better. It's always breaking news, something terrible happened to someone and you should be upset or you should be scared. It's just, it's never like good stuff. There are things that are better. I am grateful to know about gender and racial disparities. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I am struggling with the idea that as our culture moves forward, there are other things that are just skyrocketing. Mental health rates are skyrocketing skyrocketing. That doesn't seem like a good thing. It doesn't seem like we're making progress. It seems like in a lot of ways things are backwards. And it's, it's a weird struggle to feel like these things about culture and society are good. And these things feel like they're going backwards. And so I even worry as Christians, sometimes we, we miss some elemental, not elementary, but elemental stuff about our faith because we think we got it. We think we figured it out. I've heard it before. So we're diving into a new series today, and it's called Peace on Earth. We got peace on earth? We got it, right? Next. We figured that out. All right. Birth of Jesus, typical nativity scene, manger, donkey, Mary, Joseph, baby, cut to a field outside of town. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds. You know this, right? There's even songs about it. We know this story, right? Remember the shepherds, they're hanging out, they're doing their thing. And then suddenly there's a choir of angels and they're wearing white gowns and they have wings and they're singing and they're all in perfect harmony. And we know that story. Can we move on? Can we talk about something else? They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is where we start to lose the thread of what's going on because we don't actually know what the glory of the Lord is. It's, it's an Old Testament thing that talks about when God shows up, the earth quakes and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's fire and people are freaking out. That's the glory of the Lord. All is calm, all is bright. No, I mean, it's bright, but that's the glory of the Lord. If we were to try to recreate a worship service where we had fire and, and smoke and lightning and it was loud and the room was shaking, I would get emails that people were pretty upset. Like, what do you think you're doing? Well, trying to, trying to give you a vision of what the glory of the Lord is like. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. It's not surprising, of course, with God's glory. It's a weighty thing. It's not a casual, comfortable encounter. They're terrified. And verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. So you are all people. This is good news that will cause you great joy. You ready? Here's the good news that will cause you great joy. Verse 11, Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I am sensing zero joy in the room. 
This was supposed to be good news of great joy, and I didn't hear, I didn't hear any cheers. I didn't hear any claps. I didn't hear anything. Why? Oh, we got this, Patrick. Do we got this? Do we really got this? Do we really have what is being communicated here? Do we really internalize it? Has it worked our, its way into our lives? I mean, if that news leaves you a little flat, in part, it's because we've had about 2,000 years to get used to it. But additionally, the people to whom it was proclaimed had about 3,000 years to build up to it. It's like those guys that really get into, you know, whatever movie, Star Wars or whatever, and they're waiting for like half a decade for this movie to come out. And then they've got tickets to opening night, midnight opening night, and then they show up to the theater, you know, like two days before so they can camp out on the sidewalk wearing the outfits. Like when those guys watch the movie, they're excited. And it's very different than if I were to just be looking for something to do for a couple hours. I'm just trying to kill time and I just wander in, you know. That's very different. It's a very different approach. They were very much motivated to hear this good news of great joy because they had been waiting thousands of years for it. Luke chapter 2, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. And it seems like that's pretty typical for babies to be wrapped in cloths. That's probably not the sign but he will be lying in a manger. So typically where you expect food for for animals, there's going to be a baby there. So that's the giveaway. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God and the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men. When I think of this, it's, it's not exactly like this, this, this piece of artwork I want to show you. It's not exactly like this, but this is Hans Melling. Never heard of him before, but I was Googling angel choir, Jesus birth, and this is what popped up. And this looks like, they all look like clones, first of all. They all look exactly alike. They're all playing a different medieval instrument, which makes sense because this was drawn in the, in the Middle Ages. But this is an artist's conception of what it was like for this angelic choir to show up. This is somebody's idea. Maybe we don't have this exactly. Maybe we have angels and they've got these huge wings and they're singing, you know, and there's a bunch of bass and there's a bunch of baritone and a bunch of tenor and it would have been powerful. We imagine that. But did you notice that none of that is what the text says? Did you notice that? We just read it. It doesn't say any of that stuff. Look at what it actually says. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts. Who are these heavenly hosts? Is that like a heavenly maitre d'? What is this? Now that word means army. There was an army. Clouds were rolled back. There's this heavenly army. It can also often mean the stars. So maybe the stars shine brighter. This isn't like a gotcha. I'm just saying we just don't really read the text for its own thing because we have our built-in ideas of what it's supposed to say. It says they said. So there's this battalion of spiritual beings and they're chanting in unison. And here's what they say. We sang the Latin version of it, but they sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I don't know what this would have been like, but it was a spectacle. This was a moment. This was memorable. Glory to God up there, down here, peace. That's what they're announcing. If I were to describe peace, if I were to experience peace, what, what kind of moment would it be? What kind of moment would it be? The thing that popped into my mind first was this fall, Taya had flown home for the weekend, so she was with us for like 36 hours, and we were sitting out on the back deck of our house, and the temperature was perfect. It was just one of those Minnesota nights where it's perfect, and somebody had like sent all the mosquitoes away. It was just like 
gorgeous, the sun's setting, we're on the back deck, and I have my kids, and we're all out there, and uh, somebody had given me this little, like, thing that you can make um, s'mores on, so it was this little fire thing, and all my kids, we were gathered around this fire, you know, making s'mores, and I just remember thinking, taking a deep breath and thinking, this, this is it, this is the moment, this is it, this is, this is the best, and it's nothing crazy, it's nothing wild, it's nothing exciting, but this this is the absolute best. This moment, and you're just, I'm like, I, I love this. I want this to last forever. My kids are here. They're happy. There's no tension. There's no conflict. I don't have anything hanging over my head. I'm not stressed. There's no, everything's perfect. And then about 20 seconds later, it changed, and that was it. <laughs> Which is why you have to hold on to those moments, right? You have to hold on to them. But that perfect, that perfect moment. You know what I'm talking about? You, you have them. You, you can't manufacture those moments. You can't force those moments. You can't orchestrate those moments. They exist and you have to enjoy them. But you can't make them happen. Because you parents have done this. Dads have done this. We spend a lot of money at Disneyland and the kids are tired and they're upset and it's too hot. And at some point, dad just breaks because there's all this whining and dad says something like, we are going to have a good time. And that, of course, creates a good time and joy and peace is had by all and everything's wonderful. The kids are great for the rest of the day. No, you cannot make those moments happen. In fact, you know, when you think about moments like that, I think those kinds of moments are what a lot of us are, are chasing at the holidays. You know what I mean? And, and we're just more acutely aware that all is not as it should be on December 25th. It's not because December 24th was better but on December 25th, we're just, it's like just more vivid. It's more stark to think that, oh, this relationship hasn't been restored and that person isn't around this table or this person has passed away and I just long for them to be here. We're, we're reminded around the holidays that all is not as it should be. And I think that that's why holidays are so hard for so many people because things aren't perfect. We just feel that. Those perfect moments, the Hebrew language has a word to caption, of course, right? Hebrew language, and I, I love it, but this is, this is one of those hall of fame words. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about covenantal, affectionate, generous love of God. This is one I'm going to ask you next week, okay? Because most of you know it already, but this is one of those words that just, we just don't have a good English equivalent, and we just should know it because it captures something that's so beautiful and so true and so basic to the human experience, all right? The Hebrew is... Shalom. You knew that word, right? You knew the word shalom. You've heard that before. All right. Well, now you know it. Shalom. English tries to, to use the word peace, but peace doesn't quite capture the fullness. It just can't lift the weight of what's being captured by shalom. Because peace is, there's no conflict right now, but shalom is not an absence of conflict, but it's a presence of harmony. Shalom is not just an absence of sickness. It's a presence of vitality. Shalom is not an absence of debt. It's a presence of generosity. It's this experience. It's more than just the absence of something. And, and in fact, the Bible just doesn't define it. It actually describes it. It tries to give us, give us word pictures of what shalom is like. And I was trying to think, like, how could we describe that sense of shalom that the Bible is trying to get at? Maybe it's like, for you, it's that Sunday afternoon nap, you know, and it's just perfect. And today, you know, it's cold outside, the snow's blowing, and you fall asleep, and you wake up two hours later with pillow lines on your face, just like, that was the best nap I've ever had. That's like, that's shalom. That's that sense of peace and 
security and perfection and flourishing. Or maybe it's finishing all your homework early uh, before the weekend's over and feeling like, I, I know it, I get it, I understand it. Maybe uh, it could be eating as much as you wanted on Thanksgiving and the food was delicious and you woke up the next morning and you had lost weight. That's shalom. That's the way it should be. Maybe it's coming to church and being moved by the worship and challenged by the message and the sermon is 15 minutes shorter than usual and David doesn't start singing the wrong song. Maybe that's what it is. Nobody's cell phone goes off during the sermon. That's shalom. Or maybe it's roasting marshmallows on a perfect fall night with your family. It's just, that's the moment. All is as it should be. That's shalom. That's what's being described in that idea. It's relational, physical, spiritual wholeness. And so it's interesting, when you read through Scripture, you get these, these glimpses of shalom. Shalom, in the very first pages of Scripture, is described as this beautiful garden where you wake up to the sounds of chirping birds in the morning, and as you walk out, you just pluck ripe breakfast off of a tree branch that's outside. The world is your buffet. That's shalom. And the temperature in this place is so perfect that you do not need to wear a stitch of clothing. Any clothing would inhibit the shalom that you're experiencing from what God has created. That's shalom. And it's so perfect that literally there's, there's romance there because the man and the woman were literally created for one another. That's shalom. And then in the afternoons when you're thinking, man, what am I going to do with my day? God shows up and you go for afternoon walks with him and you, you converse about life and the world. That's the way the beginning of scripture describes shalom. That's perfect. That's that flourishing. That's that wholeness. All is as it should be. In my own reading of scripture, I just finished reading, I'm in the middle of reading First Chronicles, and I noticed, and it was kind of cool because I was talking about this this week, but I noticed that they describe this shalom as a perfect, idyllic kingdom in there, in First Chronicles. And it's where there's food for everyone, there's wealth, and there's justice for all. The king is genuinely wise, and he's thoughtful, and he's gracious, and he's a good judge. There are no wars, there are no famines, there are no plagues, and that's how the Bible describes it's a kingdom of shalom, perfect peace, perfect flourishing. All is as it should be. Now, this was really core to the Hebrew uh, person's worldview. It's incredibly um, woven into everything that they thought and they did. So when you went to worship God at the temple, you went to what city? Jerusalem. You went to the city of Shalom and you worshiped the God of Shalom in the city of Shalom. And when you greeted people as you came in and out the gates of the temple, what did you say to one another? You wished Shalom. It's so much better than hello. You know what hello means? It literally, I was looking up the etymology of this. It just literally means like, hey, you, hey, that's all it means. And it's so much better if we were to walk around to one another and say, I wish for you life as it should be. I wish for you perfection and wholeness and well-being. I wish for you shalom. Wouldn't that be so much better? Shalom. That's how woven it is into the fabric of their existence. May all be as it should be. So when an army of spiritual beings suddenly shows up and declares shalom has come, you can see why they were excited. You can see why this is good news of great joy. All will be as it should be. And the good news is that ever since that announcement, everything has been perfect. 
All is calm, all is bright. Life is just one long moment of perfection on the back deck of my yard making s'mores with my children. That's just life. There's no problems, there's no tension, there's no stress, there's no anxiety, there's no difficulty, there's no challenges, there's no relational tension. Everything is as it should be since those heavenly beings declared that it would be that way 2,000 years ago. It's wonderful. What's going on? I opened up my news app yesterday and it didn't look like shalom to me. I talked to some other folks who were going through hard times and it didn't look like shalom to them. What's going on? These heavenly beings promised that shalom had come to earth, but I don't experience it. What's going on? What's going on? The uh, internet has given rise to people with these insane talents, these ridiculous talents. And uh, several times I've come across this image of these guys who can balance anything. I've got a video, go ahead and play it. And there's no sound on it, but you'll see what I'm talking about. They're just incredible at balancing everything. Look, you know, here's a motorcycle on a brick, you know, pretty good. And he's doing it in front of people. That's what kind of gets me too, you know. Here's a child on a motorcycle. Here's a bunch of bottles. Um, here's a phone booth. I don't even know what that is. Laptop on some rocks. I mean, this is pretty amazing to be able to have that talent. If you didn't exist in the era of the internet, how would you make a living doing that? But now you can wander around, you can show your videos, you can, you know, get advertising dollars. It's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. A bike on a rock, not bad. I, uh, I brought some stuff because I've been practicing. <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple bottles here and a hammer. So I've been, uh, I've been working really hard. Wait, before I do this, just curious, uh, in the room, what do you think the chances are that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this? I'm going to nail this. Zero. Come on. Well, zero and 100, so we're averaging 50. I think that's, uh, that's pretty good. I think I heard the majority of you say zero. Kim, it can't be zero. It's possible to do. Look, look at this screenshot. You can hardly see it, but he's doing that while he's on rollerblades. That's pretty impressive. So I've been practicing. <clears throat> I can't do it. I don't know why you guys went. Did you guys think I was actually going to do it? <laughs> no. You thought for a second. You thought for maybe a second. I mean, the, the chances are, are probably not quite zero, but they're pretty close to zero. It's really close to zero. You long for what Scripture describes as shalom. You long for life to be as it should be. You long for that. And, and I don't know that there's anyone here who could say, my life is exactly as it should be. Maybe some of you feel like you're closer than others, but we long for that. That's a human desire. It's why we work. It's why we have families. It's why we remodel houses, plant gardens. We spend money. We have parties. We go on vacation. We meditate. We medicate. We spend so much energy trying to perfectly arrange our lives so that we will have shalom. We will have flourishing. We will have well-being. We spend so much energy doing it, and we try to arrange, we try to coordinate, because we think if I can get everything just right, if I can balance everything just right, I can't even balance, oh, there we go, two things. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to quit my day job and go on tour with this. <laughs> this is pretty impressive. 
But we think if we can get everything to balance just so, if we can get the perfect job and it pays the perfect salary, if we can get our kids to do exactly what we want them to do, if we can get our spouse never to be frustrating or annoying and they can be perfect, if we can, if we can have the perfect house and the perfect neighborhood, if we can have the perfect sense of health, maybe if we could have the perfect body and we know the perfect diet, we know the perfect exercise routine, if we can get everything just so, we'll have shalom. What are the chances of us arranging our lives so that it's just perfect, so that we experience that sense of shalom? It's zero. It's zero. We know we can't do it. Even if you could, even if you could get everything balanced just so, how long is that going to last? Well, a little gust of breeze is going to knock it all over. A phone call from your doctor, family tension, or a crisis or a reminder in any way that life is not as it should be. But we try, you know what the world does? The world says, okay, yes, life is not as it should be, but here's what you need to do. You need to double down on creating the balance here. You just double down on that. That's how you're going to find that inner peace. You chase that inner peace. You follow your heart, and then you'll have life as it should be. I mean, in fact, if we could just control everything and everyone around us, then we'll have life as it should be, right? Those people are a lot of fun to be around. You're going to have fun and you're going to do it my way or, or outrage. I mean, if we could just get everybody to agree with us on COVID, then we would have life as it should be if everybody would just do what I want them to do. If everybody would just, then we could have shalom. If everybody would agree with me politically, if everybody would understand that my way is right, then we would have shalom. Would we? No. We wouldn't. In fact, there have been whole countries that have tried to organize themselves around a single ideological principle, and they've said, if you disagree with us, we'll kill you. Do those countries have shalom? No. You can't do that. You cannot create, manufacture, coerce shalom. You can't do it. It is impossible. The world keeps telling us, no, just keep trying. Try it again. Do something else. Balance something more. In fact, think about this. Someone has already achieved everything that you think will bring you shalom and found that they didn't have peace on the other side of that. All the success that you think will bring you peace, the cleanest house, the perfect kids, the most accomplishments, somebody out there has already done that, tried it, got the t-shirt, and they still didn't have shalom at the end of it. Why? Because our world is broken. And we lost the receipt, and there's no return policy anyways. Our world is broken. Is anybody confused by that? We live in a world where kids should be able to go to school without a threat of death from a peer. But it's broken. That's not the way it is. Kids should never be abused. There should be no child protective services shouldn't need to exist, but, but it does, and things are bad. Mental health, the struggles that, that our culture is having with mental health right now, the rates that are going through the roof, they shouldn't exist, but they, but they do. And, and they exist here in this room. They exist among us. We are struggling with anxiety and depression. Our world's broken. No one should be exploited. No one should go hungry. No innocent person should ever be put in prison. No guilty person should ever be free. And I don't know anything about this stuff because I'm not an expert, but suicidal ideation rates are through the roof all the way from the elderly to the teenagers, through the roof. We keep making progress forward and everything's going to be bright and glorious. No. Domestic violence, 
sexual dysfunction, pornography consumption, exploitation, all that stuff is, is on the rise. It's all on the rise. Listen, some of you are thinking, COVID, COVID did this. COVID didn't create any of those problems. It just revealed them. Yeah. It opened the curtain so we could see all that brokenness. And the cultural solution seems to be, well, let's just do more of the things. Let's just balance everything out, and then we'll figure it out, and then we'll find it, and we'll, then we'll experience peace, and then we'll experience shalom. I mean, it's actually that you weren't sexually unrestrained enough. So go enjoy. That's, that's where you'll get peace. It's actually that people should follow their every whim even more. It's actually that there's too much personal responsibility. So we should re remove that sense of responsibility from our shoulders. Real shalom is just right around the corner, right behind that door. Just open it wider. But the problem is sin broke the world. Sin broke the world. And more sin isn't going to fix it. Can you imagine, you know, Adam and Eve, bite of the apple, they're still chomping, you know? If Adam's saying, hey, you know what, Eve, you know, God's pretty mad at us, getting kicked out of the garden, things are looking pretty bleak. You know what I think will solve this? Let's eat another piece of fruit. Let's do more of the thing that broke the world, and then that will solve it. But that's the world's solution. That's the solution that we're offered with. Sin broke the world, and I don't think more sin is going to fix it. There is only one path to shalom and it's not doing more of the things we're already doing. It's not perfectly balancing our lives. It's not out there. It's not in here. John 14, 27, Jesus, this is the Greek word for shalom, says this, shalom, I leave you. My shalom, I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Shalom cannot be created. It cannot be coerced. It must be received as a gift from the prince of Shalom who reigns over the kingdom of Shalom. In the book of Isaiah, the people of God were in a real bind. If you know the, the Hebrew history, there had been two kingdoms. They, they had split. And so there was the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, Judah. And Judah was trying to remain faithful. Judah was trying to say, no, 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 we are going to follow God. Israel had kind of gone off and done other things. But there's this southern king, this, this Judean king, his name was Ahaz, and Israel and Syria, another country, had formed an alliance because they saw off on the horizon, they saw this country named Assyria that was just going to come in and just wipe everybody out. And so Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria said, the only way we can do is we band together, we'll solve our own problems, all that tension that's created by this, this doom of Assyria coming will be resolved if we could just band together and we'll fight them off. The prophet Isaiah walks into that situation and he says, Ahaz, do not trust man. Don't trust their chariots. Don't trust their armed forces. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. They will not relieve the tension you're feeling. The only solution is to trust God. That's the only thing you can do. And so Ahaz is like, what do I do? What do I do? Because he's feeling a lack of shalom. And here's a solution. We'll just get a bunch of chariots. We'll get a bunch of soldiers. We'll get a bunch of swords. And we'll just force shalom. Or we can trust God. And we don't know what the plan exactly is. We haven't heard the details, but God has promised. And so the threat of war is on the horizon. The threat of doom is on the horizon. And, and they're just going to destroy this little country. So Ahaz is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And in the middle of that, Isaiah offers this prophecy. And he says, listen, Ahaz, this is what's going to happen. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For to us, to the southern kingdom of Judah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government, it'll be on his shoulders, Isaiah. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will have perfect advice. He will know exactly what to do. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will be called Prince of Shalom. And of the greatness of his government and of his shalom, there will be no end. So here's the choice. You can try to arrange and manufacture and force your own sense of safety and security and shalom, or you can trust me. You know what? That's the same choice that you have sitting in your seat right now. You can try to force and arrange your own sense of security, or you can trust God. That's the same choice that we have. That's our choice too. So when that heavenly host chanted, peace on earth, peace has arrived, they weren't talking about a new way of thinking. They were talking about a person. They were saying the prince of shalom has arrived. And I believe that shalom is something that we can experience here and now, that peace is something that we can experience here and now. I believe that. I believe that's what those heavenly beings were chanting that, that night. I believe they were giving us that promise, but we so often choose this other thing. Well, I'm going to force it. I'm going to manufacture it. I'm going to balance it. I'm just going to do my own thing rather than I'm going to trust God. And over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about two different aspects of this. Next week, we're going to talk about peace relationally. I, and I know none of you here have any tension or difficulty or bitterness in any relationships, but you may someday come across someone who does, and maybe you can help them with some advice. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about peace between us and God, because that is a huge issue in Scripture. We'll talk about what it means to be a shalom maker and what it means to have shalom with God. So, so more to come, more to come. But for now, we're going to sing a song that's called Prince of Peace. And I want us to know it and mean it and believe it and understand the types of choices that we're being uh, faced with every day. That we can choose God's peace, God's shalom, or we can try to do our own thing. And you know what the chances of you creating shalom on your own? Zero. Let's, let's follow God. <laughs>